0: You're listening to The Co-op Book Podcast. I'd like to welcome Gary Wotherspoon to The Co-op Chat. Hello, Gary. Hello. Now, Gary, you've done various things from academia through to journalism, authorship, We're talking about your current book, Gay Sydney, A History. How how did you come to writing this book? Well, I've always been interested in history.
1: And as a gay man, and luckily being an academic, I could combine the the two interests. And so late 70s, I started to do a bit of research because nothing had been done then. I mean, it was still illegal. So it was one of those areas that you you, you step tentatively into it. My original academic excess expertise, I suppose, which was transport and economic growth. So it was quite a jump.
0: Oh, look, I think there there, are, I suppose, some things that are similar. Um, But, you know, Sydney's got a vast gay history, I suppose, going back to the early days. Um, Tell me, what's the sort of first sort of uh, historical background in relation to gay history in Sydney?
1: Well, if if you go right back to the First Fleet, the Governor Philip said there are two crimes which would warrant death. Sodomy and murder, and if anyone convicted of those, he'd send them to New Zealand and let the natives eat them. But that didn't stop what you might call mm. gay men pursuing their desires. Probably one of the biggest cases, it was in the 19th century, was Captain Moonlight, a famous bushranger. He had a crush on one of his gang, and when they were finally held up by the police at a, a, a sheep station out in the west, and uh, Jim, Jim Nesbitt was shot, Moonlight rushed out of the house. Bent over, picked up Nesbitt's body and rushed it back into the house, and kissing him and weeping and things like that. So that was a, an interesting case because we got a massive write-up in the papers, and suddenly people had to think, well, it isn't only about something that happens from the waist down; it's something that you know the heart and the mind are
0: involved in. It seems absolutely absurd, you know, in 2016 to think that you know having having sex with another man is actually a punishable crime, potentially a you know crime of you'd be killed. Um, Things have changed radically in the last few years. Do you think it's easier to be gay now than it was when you were growing up? It's definitely much, much easier than when I was
1: growing up. I mean, 32 years ago today, it was still illegal to be homosexual. It wasn't until the end of March 1984 that homosexual acts were decriminalised. So it is much easier for younger people. But the, there is still a very important difference. If you grow up in an ethnic culture or a cultural culture like Ju- Judaism or something like that, you're born into that culture. Whereas with sexuality, uh, gender, you really don't discover it until much later in life. So there's, it, there are still problems. It's not the smooth carpet that other cultures have.
0: And o- o- obviously there's a relationship between... Depression and you know people's working out what their sexuality is, I suppose. Nowadays, there's, there's still massive issues in discrimination.
1: There are, and uh, I mean, it's interesting that at the moment this this uh, furor over the Safe Schools program. I mean, it was a thing designed to stop bullying and to make people of diverse sexualities and genders feel easier in their school and make other people accept diversity. But there's this outcry about this is actually promoting homosexuality, whereas it's really just trying to make youth suicide less.
0: Do you think? I mean, there's the whole current debate about, you know, know, the legality of gay weddings and things like that. Has it become overly politicised and something that really shouldn't be? I think it
1: has. Look, there are far more important issues facing Australia at the moment than same-sex marriage. I can't understand why the government just doesn't get it out of the way and move on to what are the real issues. Unemployment, education, health, things like that. It's just a diversion, and it's just one of those stupid political decisions.
0: Now, now we'll, we'll come back to the book, because one of the things that I really enjoyed about it was that you really you got involved in the different eras, and you sort of created the environment. As a reader, you'd go, OK, okay I can imagine this. What's your favourite era that you represent in the book? Ah, uh, such a hard job. Mm-hmm. Look,
1: probably the 60s. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. I came of age and that was a wonderful time to be in your 20s in in Sydney at that time. The repression of the 1950s where the police commissioner had said the two greatest threats facing Australia are communism and homosexuality. And suddenly the world changed. Swinging 60s, it was just wonderful. It really was and that was my favourite era.
0: Where in Sydney was the sort of
1: centre of gay life in that period? Well, the 60s, the centre of gay life was quite scattered, mainly at the Cross. There were a lot of sort of little bars and things, and things like lay girls. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ken's Karate Club at Kensington, there was a, a sort of nightclub there, which actually got the reviews there, were quite famous, uh, Catherine Brisbane, a, newspaper theatre critics. she went to watch them all. They had fabulous names. They were mainly sends-up of musicals. The Sound of Mucus <laughs> or something like that and, you know, wonderful things like that. So you had to go around. It, was, it wasn't until the 70s, the late 60s and early 70s that Oxford Street started to become the place, largely because of R&R up at the Cross, expensive rents, drunks and things like that. Oxford Street was cheap. The DMR controlled it, basically. They were going to bang a freeway right through. So no one wanted to spend money. So rents were cheap on Oxford Street.
0: So talk about, you know, Oxford Street, the Golden Mile, probably in its peak in the 80s and 90s. What were the key places and you know, elements of
1: it then? Look, you could start at Paddington Town Hall, right up at the top of Paddington, and there was the uh, Imperial Hotel, the Apollo Bar, there was Enzo's, Paddington Town Hall, out lot of gay demos and things, the Unicorn Hotel as you came further down, the Albury Hotel, uh, you got to the Oxford Hotel. I mean, it was just right down, right down to Patches, which is now a supermarket.
0: What's, ha- what's happened to Oxford Street? Because we're, we're on Oxford Street now and uh, it's not... It, you wouldn't say it's overtly gay at all. It's, you know, there are elements you know, in the mile, but it's, it's, it's like could be any other street now.
1: Look, part of it, it's uh, a victim of its own success. I mean, there are lots of interesting places. The rent's gradually banged up. Something like negative gearing. Shops become empty. If the owner's got a debt on it, he doesn't get taxed by it. Um, the two Westfield Malls, Mall Mall. People don't want to come and try and park on Oxford Street anymore. But I think the whole world has also moved on in that there isn't a vast or a strong necessity for a gay ghetto anymore. King Street, Newtown is probably one of the more interesting streets. There will always be a need for some sort of gay place, for youngsters coming out and thinking, I've got to find where there are others like myself.
0: Now... Probably one of the darker periods of this book is a whole, I suppose, the AIDS era. What was that like, sort of discovering... Because it, it sort of came quite quickly, didn't it? It came really out of the blue.
1: And, I mean, it, part of the reason it had such an impact is we'd been brought up to believe we would never have epidemics again. I mean, polio vaccine, the salt vaccine, all those sort of things meant that people just didn't expect to have a sudden, unexpected, utterly unknown disease appear amongst us, because it appeared first amongst gay men in Sydney, even though it affects everyone, Mm. irrespective of gender or ethnicity or whatever, that suddenly turned a lot of people against it, and it was still illegal, Uh, homosexuality was still illegal in 1982-83 when it first appeared in Sydney. And so many of one's friends, who hadn't done anything different to what I'd done, died, began to die. And it wasn't until 1996 when they started combination therapy that people didn't die of AIDS, they learned to live with HIV.
0: It sounds like a very scary time to be, you know, just trying to live...
1: Look, you had no idea. We had no idea what caused it initially. We used to give up ammo, we used to give up a whole range of things because they talked about the gay lifestyle. We had no idea what the gay lifestyle, might, mm. what we might be doing that was causing this. So it was really one of those things. They started to do a lot of uh, research very quickly and they asked the most amazing questions about your lifestyle just simply because that, in those early years they had no idea. Gradually, they worked it out. It was either, you know, sexually or blood transmitted, and therefore, safe sex programs were introduced.
0: Now, we'll move on to something um, a bit different. What was it like for you to come out? Was there was there a time that you you announced it, or was there... <laughs> Look, it? Look,
1: it, coming out is actually an ongoing process. It certainly mm-hmm. was in those days. I mean, first you first came out to couple of friends who you thought might be tolerant. You came out to your parents and coming out to the parents was actually sad because it outed them in a certain mm. way. It was far more embarrassing for them in the, the 1960s to have a gay, openly gay son. Um, and so coming out now, I mean, I think for younger people I mean, sports people come out mm. newscasters. So you can be a public figure out quite openly out now. I mean,
0: do, do, is, does that... Are you amazed about how how you can be in the public sphere and be openly out now? Look, I am. I,
1: I really am. I mean, senators and politicians and things like that. Homophobia still exists in sport. I mean, I can't think of any top league in any of the major football leagues who is open about being homosexual. And they certainly are there, but they've just got to be so closeted about themselves. Homeophobia is really still a major issue to be tackled in sport. So do you think it was a
0: big issue that the Rugby League had a float in the Mardi Gras this year?
1: It was a major step forward, and... I think they're even having a special event where they're having um, rainbow-coloured bootlaces in some of their socks for some of their games to, to show support.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, again, it's, uh, you know, hopefully it's these small changes. Now, obviously, you know, many of our audience are at university. What was university like for you going up?
1: Look, university was actually very good. I mean, I, uh, when, when I started out as a student, it was still in the closety sort of stage. But as an academic in the late 60s, early 70s, I was very lucky, I was in a building, the Merryweather building, and it had people in it like Dennis Altman, Lex Watts, and a whole range of uh, gay activists, uh, lesbian and gay activists. Uh, one recent author who's published a book called it Gay Central. For many years it was actually Gay Central in Sydney. So it was a very supportive a- atmosphere in which to do research and things, and that's part of the reason I was able to start to shift my focus away from what we might call the more mundane mm-hmm. aspects of academic life into something, a-, a topic that really interested me.
0: Now, talking about and the topic... What comes through in reading the book is how well researched it is. How how did you did you use your academic background to, uh, you know, dig up all the old documents?
1: Well, it, originally the uh, the first two or three chapters were done many years ago, although they've been amended since. But you had to go back to court records, newspapers, uh, novels, and things like that. And much of that was hidden away. I mean, usually you only got a recording of anything about homosexuality, if it was the criminal aspect or the mental illness aspect. So one way of countering that was to go to novels and do interviews. And so from the late 70s, I started to do a lot of interviews with older gay men about what their life had been like from the 1920s onwards. And that gave me a lot of colour for the book. OK.
0: Um... Let, let, let's leap forward. In, in your lifetime, you've you know you you've grown up where being homosexual was illegal, through to I suppose things becoming more acceptable and to to tolerance. Twenty years time, what's it going to look? What's gay Sydney going to look like? Will it even be? Will it even exist as a separate thing?
1: Well, that's actually an interesting question. In that, if we're now like everyone else, except for what we do in bed, isn't this what we always fought for? And so, therefore, we should be happy with it. On the other hand, as I mentioned before, if you only discover your difference, your sexuality, you're very different to all other minority groups. And so there will always be some sort of need for a gay identity place. So,
0: who knows? I mean, do you think the Mardi Gras will always be the gay Mardi Gras or will it just become the Mardi Gras?
1: Look, I think it'll always be the gay Mardi Gras simply because about oh, was it six, seven, eight years ago they actually tried to rebrand it, rename it as the, the Sydney Mardi Gras and there was such an outcry from the gay community. And I think if you look at it now, it really doesn't matter what they call it. It's just such a pale imitation of what it really ought to have been
0: and once was. Ah, so you think, it, you think it's, it's not the same anymore?
1: Look, in the early days, it was so satirical, political, in your face. It was just what a, a real good Mardi Gras should have been. Now they have, you know, police marching. Everyone wants to be there. Politicians, they can't wait to get in the Mardi Gras simply to, you know, get a bit of status in the community. So it's,
0: it's just a tourist trap now. And you think it's quite some of the sort of interactions and floats and things like that are a bit cynical?
1: Uh, occasionally you get a good one. I think there was a good, uh, you know, s- uh, safe schools uh, float this year. Occasionally you get a good one, but otherwise it's just a lot of people marching and a lot of hunky boys and a lot of, mm. you know, drag queens floating up and down the street. And you think, well, wow, is that what we've become? Is mm. that all there is? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Tell me, do you, who are you reading at the moment? Who do you enjoy reading? Look, um... I'm working on
1: other histories all the time, so I like to have a bit of relaxation. I like spy thrillers. I really like spy thrillers. So uh, I've got one at the moment, a a guy called Edward Wilson, and it's called A Very British Ending, and it's Mm. about the worry that America induced in Britain about communism Mm. and whether there ought to be a secret state which might have to take over in the event that Britain lurched too far to the left. America was worried about its Polaris missiles. America was worried about Harold Wilson. America Mm -hmm. was worried about so many things. I mean, the McCarthyism lives on. And you've only got to look at America now Mm -hmm. and look at Donald Trump and worry, worry, worry. Imagine if that finger was on the red button.
0: No, I I, I think... We want to keep the the talk chat apolitical, but I think everyone's sighing a bit of panic if he actually gets in. Um, what I, I was going to ask you, okay, thinking Australian politics. So we've had you know a pr- pretty openly anti-gay prime minister through to the current prime minister, who's very supportive of the community. Do you do you, do you worry about the role of politicians in you know the bedroom?
1: Yes. Look, I mean, I think we have moved to a point where people understand, or most people understand, that what happens in the bedroom, as long as there's no victims, as long as there's no uh, criminal activity occurring, there should be no worry for anyone else. But the fact that some politicians... Get hysterical about different sexualities. To think that same-sex marriage might lead to bestiality, mm. and uh, you think, what's these persons' minds? What's in these people's minds? What what is
0: their fantasies about? No, it's, it's, it, there's some very odd things that come out that you realise that it's not too. You don't have to dig too deep to find ignorance. That's right, ignorance and prejudice. And uh, Gary, where to from here from a writing point of view? What, have you, what what's on the Well, look, I have written a crime
1: story which sat in my, as they say, in my bottom drawer for 20 years. It's with a publisher at the moment and he's looking at it and he's read the first 30 pages and thinks it's quite interesting. It's a crime story set in Sydney in the AIDS era. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got a collection of short stories which I'm trying to polish up. Uh, I'm still looking at writing up other histories and stuff like that, so I've got a busy future. I don't want to uh, yeah. stop at the
0: moment. No, absolutely. Look, I appreciate your time with Cop Chat. For anyone uh, you know that hasn't had a chance to pick up a copy of Gay Gay Sydney History, it's available, obviously online at the Cop, but in stores as well.